All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Mr. Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 1,166 points, or 3.9%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 173 points, or 4.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up about 786 points, or 6%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 1.8%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 3.5%, and the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 7.5%. Thank you, Jeff. Welcome. So just want to do a little bit of housekeeping before we kick off this weekend's uh, Money Wise program. For the Money Wise listeners on 1200 WAI in San Antonio, we only have a half-hour show uh, for this weekend due to the pregame for the San Antonio Spurs. So we're going to try to get the entire week of Wall Street recapped in the first half hour of this weekend show. And, of course, for our listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus, we have a full two-hour weekend money-wise program. So this last week, what a week. Best week for the Dow, S&P, NASDAQ going back to November. Uh, obviously, two weeks ago, we saw some profit-taking. And a little bit of a hand-wringing and jitters, I think, primarily driven by the Reddit stocks, as they're now uh, come to be, uh, have, have come to be known by. Uh, I will say that I have heard some feedback from some clients in Round Rock uh, that very much appreciated the show last weekend of us going in and giving some education. I will say I've received some texts from some friends who are clients asking me, oh, should I be getting involved in these stocks? And I said, absolutely not. You'd be better off hitting yourself in the head with a hammer. Kyle knows about that. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Good one. Good wow. one. Wow. I, I, I would have liked to have seen that. I don't, I don't know what the circumstances were, but it must have hurt, Kyle. I'm well, trying to fill it for your dad. <laughs> Joe, Joe, you're not getting employee of the month this month. For February, It's you're already off the list. Oh, after last week, we got to have a good laugh. So, well, I actually – 
I think if you'd have, if you'd have bought a GameStop on the close last Friday, not the Friday just past, or the one before, you might have needed to get a, a hammer out and hit yourself over the head because how much was GameStop down this week? Seventy percent, something like that. On Friday morning's open, it was down sixty-eight percent. Sixty-eight percent. No, wait, eighty-six percent for the week. Excuse me, eighty-six percent. It was down eighty-six percent. Yeah, that's now that's a hammer to the head for sure. <laughs> No or, to your portfo- or to your portfolio. To so, for, so for, I guess, all the, the prognosticators that were talking about those stocks and how, well, this is, you know, this, it's, it's, it, this is, uh, what, what, what's the buzzword? We keep, it's different this time, <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it, oh, sure. stock, it's just going to keep going up. Well, you uh-huh. know what? The chickens came home to roost and they came home to roost in a very uh, uh, hard way, especially if you were along that stock this week. Uh, or any of those stocks, for that matter. And you know, uh, Wall Street, you know, th- 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 there was a lot of celebration. They're taking it to Wall Street. You know, they're getting getting those Wall Street guys. Well, and back at the man. You know, we've seen this before. It got a lot of press. Uh, but we've seen these kinds of events occur, and everybody comes out of the woodwork, including some Congress people that need to get some FaceTime in front of the camera. Oh, we got to have these regulations. Oh, we got to do this. Oh, we're not protecting investors. Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you if you're going to commit capital and play that gambling game, because that's what it was, it was gambling. Straight up, it has gambling. nothing to do with investing. Has nothing to do with the quality of the thousands and thousands of other stocks that there are available to invest for a long term investor. As you know, that was not some sort of referendum on the markets. That was not a sign, oh, we got to be, it's, 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 it's a late 20th century top and we've got to go out and we've got to, we got to sell stocks because it's all going to heck in a handbasket and the big bear market is right around the corner. And what happens? Well, the fundamentals start to rear their heads like earnings, which, which is economic we- statistics. Which, right. as a professional asset manager, this is what we focus on: are the fundamentals. It's kind of a good week because fundamentals. Kind of a good week, yeah. Kind Amazon, of a good week. Amazon, anyone? I mean, all right. Well, not I mean, Amazon. How about Google? I Google? mean, we had we had some stocks about, in our portfolio. That, technology. How about Ubiquity? Yeah. Did you see Ubiquity on Friday? I mean, so. It, it it all comes back down to fundamentals, but I think the one conversation I've been having with friends or clients who've been asking about these Reddit stocks is I've always, my response is uh, getting rich quick and investing is not an investment philosophy. No. It's about building wealth over the long term. It's I spoke to a client in California on Friday. It's not about timing. It's time in. And he's heard me say that before. And as soon as he asked me the question, I came back with him. He's like, Kyle, Kyle, I know, I know. I said, Doug, it's time in. Getting rich quick is not a sound investment management strategy. And you have to remember that. Don't get sucked into the herd or the, the really kind of the advertisement because the financial entertainment press is almost glorifying this to, to an extent and getting this information out there to people that have never even thought about well, yeah, investing it's like, before. It's like these Reddick renegades are Reddit heroes. Renegades. Yeah. They're, like, they're like heroes. The Jesse James of stock investing. The, well, the, the modern day, what is it, Robin Hood taking, taking 
taking money, oh. quote unquote rich to give to the quote unquote poor. And I think I was reading stories before we went to air that it wasn't just the small investor that there, was there that was that was involved in this trade. No. You no. mean there was professionals in that? You read yeah, that article oh too, huh, Jeff? <laughs> Man, the sarcasm is thick on this weekend's money. I mean, read between the lines. We know that there was professionals in there. And if you just thought it was the mom-and-pop investors, it's not. This whole situation was taken advantage of by the professionals as well. So let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about your Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for our WAI listeners in San Antonio, this will be the last segment of this weekend's MoneyWise program uh, because we're being preempted that second half hour for the Spurs pregame. Go Spurs. So getting back to talking about the markets, you know, two weeks ago, it was all about the Reddit stocks and then some of that unintended consequences in the rest of the stock market. And we saw all the major averages negative two weeks ago. We come into this, this past week, we kind of got past the whole Reddit issue. We saw stocks like GameStop just get walloped. We saw costs get walloped. And of course the, the cost family was selling stock all the way up and I believe made about $45 million. So some of the internal shareholders of these Reddit stocks definitely took advantage of the situation. But now we look at this. Which was, which was perfectly legal, perfectly legal, perfectly legal. They just made the rich richer. That's right. So we look at this past week where you see the Dow up almost 4%, S&P up over 4.5%, NASDAQ up 6%, best week for the markets going back to November. And I would say this past week, one of the big primary focuses is the stimulus package, the COVID relief bill that is still right around that $1.9 trillion. And so the market is getting back to focusing on the stimulus that's going to be coming into the economy getting back, as we said in the last segment, to the fundamentals and seeing some huge bellwether technology companies uh, or information technology companies like an Amazon, like a Google, just crush their numbers on the top and bottom line and saw the nice reaction in that. Another big piece of news is Jeff Bezos stepping down as the CEO of Amazon moving into the chairman role. I think it's something similar that Bill Gates did around 2000, 2000, you know, early 2000s. So he's taking that role. They're going to be focusing on other things in the business. So that was big news. Um, and then Google. I mean, I think this was the best week I've seen of Google in a long time. And for full disclosure, we own Google in our individual stock portfolios, but it had a phenomenal week. We also own Amazon. And, and so did Amazon. So all, all in all, it was a great week uh, for the markets, getting back to the fundamentals, getting back to the blocking and tackling and paying attention to the stimulus that's going to be coming out of Washington and the end effect on the economy. Because the old saying goes, as goes the economy, 
so goes the market. And then on Friday, just to Jeff throw you a curveball, we had the employment number. Yeah, so it went from uh, 6.7 to 6.3. The, the, the that's the unemployment jo- number. That's the unemployment. That's the raw unemployment number. The, the, the number of jobs increased 49, by 49,000, which was almost Some of the numbers were lower. Some of the numbers were higher. The market didn't really react much to it. I, I would call it really a, you know, kind of a lukewarm uh, number. This is the first unemployment number under the new administration. They did lower some job growth numbers for the previous two months, but the market really seemed to take it all in stride, uh, which, you know, it could have, uh, I think if, uh, if it might've been interpreted a little bit differently from the market, if it, if it wasn't in this backdrop of uh, the stimulus package getting closer and closer to uh, passing, but we are going to need to see some changes in that unemployment number. The market's not going to give it a pass forever. No, uh, interest totally rates agree. interest rates creeped up a little bit this week. Not not much. I have been I've I've been hearing from more clients, and I don't know if this is from you know things that they're reading online that there's there the prognosticators are are getting more and more worried about higher inflation and higher interest rates. And my response to it is, is sure, it's okay to be, to be worried about it, but it's not here. And so it, it's that old adage. We say, we talk about, you, you don't want to board up the house, you know, in January, you know, hurricanes. Yeah. yeah. yeah the hurricane, hurricane season starts in June, <laughs> you know, and it, does, and it doesn't really get bad here until August, September. So we're not, we don't, there's, you don't need to board the house up right now. Yeah, we're going to keep an eye on it. Yes, we're going to make changes in the portfolio if it, it appears that it's you know, going to be accelerating. It's 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 the but it's not here. So until it actually gets here, it, there's no need to anticipate it because it it kind of reminds me of what happened in 0809. Remember when we got had all all those stimulus packages. All that money thrown in by the Fed, it was piecemealed in over over a longer period of time. All the QE, you know, that was the buzzword back then, QE, quantitative easing. And I started hearing from folks, well, you know, hyperinflation, it's just got to be around the corner. We've got to have, we've got to have higher inflation. And okay, and it never happened. We over never ten got, year, over we, 10 years later. We never got that hyperinflation. Uh, now people say, well, look, you see gas prices are up. I mean, gas prices are up twenty, thirty cents. Two dollars. But but, but, I mean, but they're up. Can you, but, you can't. Yes, Kyle. But they're up because of what the Biden administration is doing when it comes to the XL pipeline. When it comes to putting a pause right. on exploration in federal lands, or you know, halt on fracking in certain areas of the country. So that's the reason why gas has been going up. But here's the other thing. Well, 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 about, well, no, not not the only reason. Can't it's not, one. not just that. How about more demand? Well. Does more True. more demand means more economic activity? More economic activity means a, a continuing to recover economy. Continuing to recover economy should mean higher revenues for companies, which should in turn lead to higher profits, which is what we want to see as stock investors. I think there was also a little piece of news I heard on Friday uh, that the there's there are National Guard 
troops being sent to California to assist in increasing the uh, rate of inoculation against COVID. And this, in this, and I, I'm on California was one of the states I heard. I think you're right, Joe. Some of these, uh, probably the more populous, you know, uh, metropolitan areas, maybe where these, where they're going. So action is happening in, in that respect. We, we uh, finally have out as many, we have out as many vaccines globally as there are cases. It, was, it reached over a hundred million this past week. So as we can get more vaccinations ahead of how many that are infected, that's going to be a good thing, getting a handle on COVID, getting the economy going with a fuller head of steam behind it, which all in turn is a positive thing for the market. And something else, Jeff, if we do start to see interest rates rise in the 10-year treasury, I mean, obviously, that means that money has been coming out of fixed income. Well, where's that money going to go? It has to go somewhere. You know, if we're starting to see rates rise, it's because prices are coming down. So that means that we're, you know, we're seeing some selling in the bond market. Well, those assets have to go somewhere. So where are they going to go? Emerging markets? Well, they go on international? They go into the stock market? Or are they just going to be sitting in cash? Well, they, they could go just to cash. They could go to other bonds. They could go out of governments into corporate bonds, too. I'd have to look at the entire interest rate spectrum. But, you know, a tenth of a ba- you know, 10 basis points, if that's what we've moved this week, and I'd have to add up the numbers or less than that, I mean, it's not, I mean, not a big. It's we, not we, astronomical. We were we were at what two percent? Near we were like one at the beginning of one ninety nine at the beginning of of twenty twenty, and yeah. we cut that in half. At the by the end of twenty twenty, we were at what point nine one, and now we're up to one point one. That's not a big difference. Yeah, not it's a big not, difference. Uh, yeah, and it's. And I had this conversation on, on Friday with, with Klein as far as debt to GDP. I mean, we've got debt about 134% of GDP. Yes, th- like you said earlier, those chickens are eventually going to come home to roost. But when you have historically low interest rates, our debt servicing cost as a country is much lower. But I- I'm here to tell you, and I think it's no surprise to any of our listeners, taxes in the future will be going up. And I'm not talking just for the 1%. I mean, everyone that goes to the gas pump right now, is paying higher prices at the pump because of what the Biden administration is doing. That is a tax. That is a tax on every man and woman going to the gas pumps to fill up. Period. And this is across the country. You know, go out to California where one gallon of gas costs you five dollars. You, know, you want to see some inflation. They just need to move to Texas. They already <laughs> they, are. They, they already are. <laughs> I mean they are. So I, I can tell you, I, I'm in Austin. For this, I'm, I'm in Austin for this weekend show, and there are cranes and buildings going up like weeds in a field in Texas in the spring. There's building going everywhere in this city. So it is growing, and I think that's going to continue to grow because Austin is Austin is going to be the new Silicon Valley. That's absolutely right. Absolutely right. But all in all, a great week. And I think, you know, we'll continue to see this as the economy continues to get a fuller head of steam. And we'll have to wait to see what happens with this stimulus package. Again, still sitting at $1.9 trillion. We'll see how things filter through Congress. But we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So for listeners of MoneyWise on 1200 WAI, We'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. You can catch the second half hour plus the full second hour by going to our website at davidsoncap.com. 
So you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So do we want to talk about the portfolio changes? Not really changes, but the continued stair-stepping in of our dividend sleeve in our portfolio that we've talked about in past MoneyWise shows for the past three or four weeks. Yeah, so we're still building out that position, another set of purchases this week. <clears throat> I was just looking at, at you know, how, how much the NASDAQ, again, is outperforming the Dow and the S&P. 7.5% year-to-date. January was looking like uh, there, was this, there was a big rotation going on. Head that, fake. That, that maybe uh, that the outperformance was starting to go back in a different direction. And and now we have the week just passed, and the Nasdaq comes roaring back, and is you know, we're not uh, nearly six percent of the head of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and we're we're now what, what this is going to be next week will be halfway through the first quarter, uh, either next week, right? Bye. Yeah, and and I think, but I think it's important. I think it's important just to explain to you know any listener that hasn't that didn't catch past weekend shows when we're talking about the dividend sleeve and really a lot of the dividend sleeve stocks are large cap value. Now there's been a whole big discussion the second half of last year about, is there going to be a rotation from growth to value? When is it going to take place? Then we saw a little bit of rotation. Then there's been kind of a head fake. And like you said, Jeff, seeing the NASDAQ up seven and a half percent year to date with the Dow only up 1.8%, which has a lot of more value oriented stocks that are dividend payers. I think it's important to point out is that what we're adding to the portfolio is not necessarily because we're wanting to add large cap value as an asset class. We're wanting to add income as a replacement for the income we're not generating in fixed income. I think I really want to to define that for the listeners that we're not adding these positions to move into the large cap value asset class. It just so happens that these dividend paying stocks that are replacements for some income we can't get a hold of in the fixed income market just happen to be large value as an asset class. But that's what we're focused on is these stocks are surrogates, bond surrogates, not that we're increasing a large cap value position in our portfolio. And this is a, uh, this is, you know, if you really look at it, it's kind of a novel approach to generating income in a portfolio, at least from, you know, for, for us, you know, generally we, we tend to focus on just being in, in bonds to generate income in the portfolio. Uh, when, you, when you really kind of look at it from a total portfolio composition point of view, today, as the portfolios sit, the risk profile, given the fact that we've got this, this dividend sleeve or these bond surrogates, as we call them, as part of the stock side of the portfolio, is actually bringing it, it brings down you know risk in the portfolio overall because we're 
where we're taking that money and at least especially on the stock side we're not we're not putting that into the higher growth and in some cases you know a little riskier profile especially some of these stocks that have you know have PEs in the you know they've got some pretty high PEs they're they're, they're they have high price earnings ratios for a reason because their outlook for the future is very bright and people and, and investors are willing to pay a little more for that brighter growth future uh, but in terms of overall allocations today in the stock portfolio you know really think about it where we were a year ago today where we were a year ago we were at you know all-time highs of the markets back then but for us as managers of money we were also at maximum allocations to stocks we were pushing 70 percent allocations in a moderate asset allocation portfolio just a year ago because if I if I'm remembering correctly, we topped out. What was it? Was it the second, third week of February? Yeah, before COVID before really COVID, started before, affecting the market. Yes, right. For before the thirty percent down in March. Yeah, and we're not. We we still today are not at seventy percent stocks in the moderate asset allocation portfolio. No, and 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 the the other thing I wanted to point out because you you'd mentioned Jeff that even though we've been adding more stock positions and it is equity, but we're buying them to generate more higher income into the portfolio, but it's been lowering the risk, the overall risk profile in the portfolio, because a lot of particularly the large cap value stocks that are dividend payers, they're more of the classic stocks of wall street, the Pepsi Colas, the Coca-Colas. You used to call them stodgy. Well, I would say stodgy. I, I, I borrowed a term from one of our clients. He said, oh, the classic stocks. So, yes, I'm going to use their more, their more classic stocks. So a company like 3M, uh, a company like Kimberly Clark, a company like Coca-Cola or Pepsi or United Parcel Services or Verizon. Although these are stocks, they're very nice, higher dividend payers. So we've got higher income coming to the portfolio, but they're more of a – they're a less risky stock. They're more of the, a defensive type name, which is lowering down the risk in the portfolio. Yeah, Joe. A, a part of this is portfolio construction and, and asset allocation and, and and putting the portfolio together. And I was reading something when I'm studying for a designation. It's really a combination of art and science. If you look at what some portfolio, the Monte Carlo simulations, where they have a percentage here and a percentage here and a percentage there, what we're doing, obviously, by using – uh, higher dividend paying stocks with relatively low betas is we're combining both to to really address a specific need for a lot of our clients, which is to get income. And I think that's where you're combining both. And that's really a fundamental difference between active mani- uh, money managers and what we do. And then just setting it and forgetting it and having 20% or 30% in your bond allocation come hell or high water versus thinking outside the box and thinking what we need to do to accomplish our clients goals. You know, Joe, it's, it's funny. Did, did, cause dad used to, when I first came into the family business many, many moons ago, he always told me that managing assets is a combination of art and science. Did you, are you, did you literally reading this in your designation study materials? Or are you taking it from dad? Uh, 
Maybe, maybe dad took maybe it from his maybe, study maybe, machine. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they got this from your dad because the study yes. material is uh, maybe he'll be maybe he'll come on the show next week and defend dad, himself. Okay. You know, maybe he'll yeah. It's a very good point, and it's exactly what you know what we but, do. But, but no, you're right. It, it is an art, and it is a, there. There's an art and a science to it. And the, what I've always said to clients, or even prospective clients, you can't learn how to manage money simply by reading a book. You have to be in the trenches. You have to make decisions with assets that have consequences. And so the way that you mitigate some of the negative consequences is you have to do an extensive amount of research. You have to have a proprietary investment management philosophy and a proprietary screening process like we have at Davidson Capital Management that has been honed over the 31 plus years we've been in business being in our 32nd year of business. Now, does that mean that every single decision we make in a portfolio is going to be right? Absolutely not. I'm not going to be sit here on the air and, and, and say to our listeners that 10 decisions we make, 10 of them are right. No, we will make 10 decisions. Six to seven of them will be right. Three to four of them won't. But what the huge value that we provide to our clients at Davidson Capital is that our clients have the ability to ask questions of the actual decision makers. Because the one thing I have definitely noticed over the past probably five to seven years is a higher and higher propensity of registered investment advisory firms that are full fiduciaries that are portraying themselves to be money managers when they are nothing more than asset harvesters that then turn around and ship the asset management decisions to another firm. We see firms like that all across San Antonio. There's firms like this all over the United States. And so now individual investors have to dig even deeper to find out, well, I'm with a registered investment advisor, they are a fiduciary, but are they actually managing money in-house or are they shipping it off? And we see that, else? yeah, <clears throat> the most common, what we find is it's folks that used to be in the brokerage industry that worked for the big wirehouses that have decided to go quote unquote independent. Yes, we see because, that a lot. Because <clears throat> when they were at the big wirehouses, They'd harvest, they market to harvest the client, and then the, and then the money was brought in-house. And then the, and the house, this meaning, meaning the Wall Street firm, would then manage the money with their in-house people. Well, if you go independent and leave the big wirehouse, well, if you've never managed money before and you don't want to manage the money, you want to continue just to be harvesting assets and being the marketing person, well, you've got to have somebody managing the money. But now you're in this registered investment advisor model where you're charging management fees and you're grabbing, you're, you're, you're claiming a portion of that management fee when you're not really managing anything because every, everybody's got to get paid. The marketing person that brought you on as a client and the people that are actually managing the money, everybody's got to get paid. And when that happens, when you add folks in the middle, middleman, that means more fees charged. Now, this week, another fine example of that exact same situation. When we come back from the break, we'll talk about another Monte Carlo portfolio that wasn't managed. Okay. Well, we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Stay tuned as we come back. Jeff will give us stories from the street when we come back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com 
Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a complimentary portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning in to this weekend's Money Wise program, before we went to the last commercial break, um, Jeff had mentioned just a, another example of kind of a classic portfolio we see during the review process that's coming from the legacy distribution system or well, the major brokerage model. Right. So here's what uh, – it was a broker that decided to go out on his own, <clears throat> create their own firm, though the firm itself is not registered as a, as a, as a registered investment advisor – they clear through another organization that they're affiliated with. <clears throat> but here's a portfolio, the classic Monte Carlo analysis portfolio, 10 different, 11, 12 different mutual funds, all these different asset classes. Can you imagine having municipal bonds and regular bonds in the same portfolio? Please tell me it's not in an IRA. The, the it's, municipal not, bonds. it's not. Oh, thank goodness. Like, but yes, that, that's like, strange. what, why, well, why have municipals and corporates in the same portfolio? It makes no sense whatsoever. You know, again, you, putting all saw, this, all this money in all these different asset categories to make shotgun it look like blast. Yeah, it's a shotgun blast. And so the, the, here's the question. So you, you ask the client, okay, how much money did you start with? This is what it's worth. Now you put it in a financial calculator, very easy to figure out what the return is. And even though this particular example, the, the return of the portfolio was, uh, it was the, uh, pardon me, the allocation of the portfolio was actually a conservative asset allocation. When I stacked it up against our conservative asset allocation over the exact same period of time, and, and our returns were double. Hmm. You look at all the, the individual funds, interestingly enough, they, they were all, decent funds, you know, most of them four star as measured by Morningstar, five stars is the best, but the allocation was obviously wrong. And that's what delivered these subpar returns. And the fact that it was never managed, that the same same exact funds that the client originally invested in four years before are the same funds that they were in now, now, sure, they change a little allocation here and there, you know, up a percent, down a percent, most likely, but it's the same funds, same thing. And it's no wonder you it delivered subpar results with, and here's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen, with excessively high management fees. What's the first thing we've always taught on this program? The fastest way to add money to your nest egg's bottom line is cutting your cost of fees, yeah. keeping your fees low, being aware of what you're paying. So you could have good funds, poorly allocated, not managed, high management fees, and that equals subpar performance. Mm-hmm. And Half of what we did in our conservative and allocation. These, and these folks came, so, you know, do the portfolio review analysis, and I shed light on, you know, they now they understand what it is that they own. So that that's one example. Another example, and I, 
you know, I've been doing this a long time. This is year 29 for me. Yes, you have. And <laughs> thirty year anniversary. Yeah. You, you hey, Jeff, when you started, right. you had a full head of hair. There you go. I did we have all a had full a full head, head of hair. hair. We all did. Yeah, we all had a full we head of hair. hair. I know our I know our listeners can't see us, but we're all three cue balls. Sorry, so. Jeff, I didn't mean to interrupt. You're okay. <laughs> really good portfolio you, story. You didn't mean to attack my manhood here, but I have no hair. Come on now. No, all that right, was so. your brother. That was <laughs> your brother. That sorry, Jeff. That's right. That's my brother. Okay. So anyway, and and. And yeah, so here we go. You digress. Here's the portfolio. Ten stocks. Seventy eighty percent of the eighty percent of the portfolio in stocks. The client in this case, far too old. I mean, let's just call it what you know what it is. The client was not at the stage of life where they should have eighty percent of their money. Risk in capacity 10, was smaller. In ten stock. There you go. The risk capacity exactly. was smaller. Exactly. Incredible stocks. I mean, they've done phenomenally. I mean, the nearly the accounts nearly tripled in about six years. Now you now you tell me, guys, do you think that these the, the managers of this money knew that you know four years later we would have a COVID crisis and half of the stocks in this portfolio would be involved in that stay-at-home investment that worked so well in 2020? And these stocks would go through the roof, and and imagine a portfolio, you know, the portfolio like this last year, because there were other names in this portfolio also, and nearly nothing was sold, nothing, because no profits the, taken, no profits None. taken, because you, you can look on the statement, it shows no real, you know, it shows very little realized gains. That tells me that very little investing activity, management activity took place. Set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. Five years now, did they do phenomenally well? Yes. But luck is not an investment strategy. That's right. It's not. It's not a successful long-term investment strategy. And so when the client brought this to me, they had an inkling that something might – they were uncomfortable. Something was amiss. And I said, yeah, I, I, I think there's a very good reason to be uncomfortable. And the reason is you're paying these guys – I don't know, 1.6% 1, 1. Percent to manage, which is 60% more than our highest management fee that we charge, which is 1% here at Davidson Capital. They're not managing your assets. They've been riding these stocks for years. They didn't t- hardly take any profits at all last year. You've done phenomenally well, but it, you know there's big danger, danger, danger. This is a dangerous portfolio. And so you were right to feel uncomfortable. And so the moral of the story is, ladies and gentlemen, is that take stock in your investments. Understand what it is you own and why you own it. And if you're uncomfortable about something, you think there's something that's not quite right, then give us a call for a portfolio review and analysis. But you also dig deeper. Yeah, and and that's the other thing is you also like you found Jeff by looking. It's not that they had bad investments, but you were also able to see and ascertain from the portfolio review that there wasn't really any active management going on. There was no profit taking going on, which which I think is a disservice to the client. And it not, wasn't diversified. Not, ten stocks cannot be diversified unless it's ten ETFs. But ten individual stocks, you can't get a you cannot get a diversified portfolio out of ten stocks. You just can't. No. So it's not only the underlying investments, but being able to figure out from doing the portfolio review and analysis, 
sometimes we're able to ascertain whether or not it's being actively managed. But like you said, Jeff, in this particular prospective client situation, they got very lucky. But like you said, luck is also not an investment management strategy. But they were very lucky. They were very fortunate. But their hairs on the back of their neck were standing up, which caused them to pick up the phone and call us for that portfolio review and analysis. And we recommend each and every one of our listeners to take stock of what you own and take advantage of that complimentary portfolio review and analysis. With that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and going into investor education or continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. We are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So for the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, um, as we normally use the second hour to go into investor education, you know, there was a, a topic and a subject matter that uh, that I've wanted to to talk about for some time. And I've been thinking about it all week, and it, and it really talks about uh, investors' behavior and improving investors' behavior. And so doing some research and really where this spur, you know, really where I got the spark to want to look into this and research it is several weeks ago, uh, Dalbar released a study and they release a study on an annual basis talking about investor behavior and their typical rates of return. Um, and, and what their experience has been as managing money of their on their own. And, and from time to time when I meet with prospective clients and current clients, we talk about investor psychology and how investor psychology can do a lot of damage to portfolios. So in my research, I actually ran across a presentation that was put together by the mutual fund family Munder. I want to give them the credit for, for putting this presentation together, which I thought was just fantastic presentation that I wanted to pass along to our listeners because it's got a lot of good food for thought, but it also includes some of these Dalbar statistics about investor psychology and the rates of return that individual investors have been achieving over a very long period of time, in fact, the 20-year time period, and how critical it is to have the connection with an investment professional to assist them, but also how to not allow humans, the, your human psyche become a roadblock to investing for your future. So looking at this presentation, you know, historic, historic invested investment behavior really threatens the ability to accomplish obje objectives and achieve returns and achieve returns. The result is, is that investors are not going to reach their goals, whether it be retirement, saving for higher education, what have you. 
investment returns may be far more dependent on investment behavior than market performance. And so investors who hold their investments typically are going to earn a higher return over time than those who attempt to time the market. And there's an old saying that, that I use is it's about time in the market and not timing. So looking at emotional decisions, you know, these emotional decisions are often based on biases and not objective analysis. So potential investor problems that folks run into is identifying, first they're looking and trying to identify trends that don't exist in the marketplace. Uh, they also overweight information in the press. That brings up the example that we've talked about for many years of the client that came in to our office in 2008 and wanted us to liquidate his accounts because Glenn Beck told him that he needed to liquidate all of his investments. That's yeah. a that's a, a particularly egregious example of someone overweighing information from someone in the press that has absolutely no investment experience whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, has a bias towards promoting a investment philosophy that enriches their advertisers, which in turn enriches the person that is delivering the message, i.e. all the gold ads that you hear on shows like Glenn Beck or uh, the, the conser really the conservative side of the aisle. I'm trying to think of some of those other guys, Glenn Beck, uh, Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity. You know, you listen to these shows, every one of them's got a gold ad on. I think Limbaugh, as at one time, may still, I haven't listened to Limbaugh in so long, run runs gold ads. Mm -hmm. And and you know, and again we talk about on the show all the time about overweighting the information from the press because again this twenty four hour news cycle we feel is doing a lot more damage to the investor psyche than if they just turned it off and tune it out a little bit more or if they do continue to listen to it, to take things with a little bit of a grain of salt and realize that the information is going to be coming to them with a certain bent to it, depending upon who's the person that's providing the information. So, you know, something else talking about emotional decisions and, and, and decisions based on bias and not objective analysis. You know, a lot of investors, I mean, investors giving greater weight to the equivalent amount of gains and losses. And really it comes down to, and, and I ask this question all the time of prospective clients or even current clients, is remembering losses more than gains. And that's one thing that, that in particular really holds investors back is is always having i mean losses from 2000 losses from 2008 still being so fresh in the front of their mind uh, that's holding them back from making decisions to get involved with the stock market you know something else from an emotional decision standpoint is overestimating their own ability to manage their wealth and i know with a lot of the self-help books out there with a lot of the blogs and a lot of the websites i think there's a false sense of security that can be built into an investor's mindset saying, you know what, I can do this on my own and I can do better doing this part-time on my own. And I can tell you, you know, with 70-plus years of combined experience sitting in the studio, we can tell you that you cannot manage money part-time and be successful over the long term. It just cannot happen. It will not happen because things move so much quicker in this day and age. And then finally, you know, this all can lead 
to repeatedly making the same mistakes when you have these biases and you don't take an objective analysis when it comes to investing. So let's talk about the identifying of trends or patterns where none exist. You know, one thing that in individual investors do all the time is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the hot stock or chasing the hot investment du jour for many years. Hot asset class. Hot asset class. For many years, it's been what? Precious metals. It's been all about gold. The late 90s was internet silver. stocks. Uh, and then, but gold here, especially this century, uh, or really precious metals in general, had been one of the hottest areas. And then, you know, here uh, lately, in the last uh, three, four years, it's been social media. Uh, we've got the Amazons of the world, the Teslas of the world, mm-hmm. uh, th- that have been certainly being chased uh, by, by investors and bidding them up quite a bit. They've had co- they've had a, a pretty uh, Good correction here in the last few months, which I think has contributed to the, the, this market uh, kind of so not experiencing the kind of gains that we thought that that should have here in the first four months of the year. And and before we go to the commercial break, another issue that investors run into is the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict when trends will reverse themselves and feeling that they're a, a good timer of knowing when to pull the trigger. So we're going to pause right there, take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investment behavior, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So talking about improving investor behavior, going through a presentation, talking about investor psychology, before we went to commercial break, we were talking about a lot of issues that investors run into, in particular those that are that are managing their own assets. And one one big issue that investors run into is chasing the hot dots or basically chasing the stock du jour or the sector du jour. Uh, we also talked about the gambler's fallacy, believing that one can predict trends are going to – being able to identify and predict when trends are going to reverse themselves – uh, another issue that that individual investors run into is focusing on investments doing well, but ignoring those investments that are not doing well in their portfolio. And I've run into this quite often when I do portfolio reviews and analysis, when I, I talk to prospective clients that are very happy about being in a position that pays a 10, 12, 13% dividend yield, and they're completely honed and focused in on the fact that they're giving a 12 to 13% dividend yield, and they're not realizing that they've lost 50% or 75% of their original investment, of their principal, because the value of the stock has just plummeted, but they were dazzled by just the yield. So let's talk about uh, Dalbar. Now, Dalbar is a company that was gathering a lot of investor data uh, they've been doing this for years and years and years. They just came out with a report that has information through 2013. And so what Dalbar found 
in their survey is that clients are motivated by two main emotions, and we've talked about them on this show for years and years and years. The two emotions are fear and greed. They're not motivated by sound investment practice. Investment returns are typic- typically increase when there is a disciplined behavior. And, I mean, that's one thing that we've preached on the Money Wise program going back to 2005. It's about having a very strict philosophy, as we do here at Davidson Capital Management, as a balanced manager. A, a disciplined behavior has many different that's aspects. Right. You know, one of those, and I think one of the most important parts of being disciplined is, especially in a retirement account, is participating in your 401k, contributing as as much as you can. If you can contribute the maximum amount to your 401k, that obviously that's going to give you the, the highest probability of reaching your investment goals in retirement. Contributing that money every single month and investing on a consistent basis time and time again, and I've got dozens of examples of clients that are in identical investments over long periods of time, and the ones that are contributing to their accounts on a monthly, bi-weekly basis are outperforming those clients that don't contribute anything at all with identical investments, identical allocations, because it gives us, the, the investment manager, the ability to, to buy, could always be in the market, Buying securities, maybe, you know, like right now, we've had opportunities to buy some of these funds at lower prices because the markets have been down. Mm-hmm. And by dollar cost averaging all the time and having the discipline to contrib- contributing to your retirement, and even if you're not contributing, if you've, if you've maxed out your 401k and you still have money that's left over to to put into some sort of retirement account, Get a, get a tax, get a, just a, a regular brokerage account, start contributing consistently to that one, too, and investing consistently in, in, that, in that type of account. Over the long period, it is going to pay tremendous dividends. That's right. So, as you said, Jeff, disciplined behavior could mean investment philosophy and strategy. It could mean paying yourself first and participating and saving for your nest egg. Now, the Dalbar study also... Uh, went and calculated the guest right ratio. And what the guest right ratio is is the percentage of time the average equity investor correctly guessed the direction of the market over a 20-year period ending December 31st of 2012 was 63%. So a little bit more than half. Now, granted, how do they gather this data? I have no idea. I'm not sure. I mean, again, they have some type of matrix and process they go through to gather this data. The bottom line is investors are driven to do the wrong thing by the psychological factors that overtake their rational decision making. And that's what they that's again what what Dalbar is finding in their studies. And so as we get further into this Dalbar study, we look at uh investors are driven to do the wrong thing by psychological factors that overtake rational decision making and so they've actually listed a number of psychological factors that every investor has when they're going through their decision-making process. And so this kind of going through all of these that are presented by Dalbar, the first one is we have loss aversion. And this is when an investor is expecting to find high returns with low risk. 
And I think that's any utopian dream of any investor is being able to get a high rate of return with little to no well, risk. Well, isn't this in kind of a, a selling or a attempted selling point for equity index, the new Oh, brother, did you hit that one right on the head? You're absolutely right. I mean... They use this psych. I mean, again, marketing firms are looking at psychological factors that drive investors' decision making, and they're putting it into their presentations. And like you said, this loss aversion, all the upside, none of the downside, every, throwing the guaranteed word right. out there is what it's. We're psychologically wired to be attracted to those kinds of pitches. And so this loss aversion causes the investor to search for investments that either don't exist and results in either taking no action or later discovering that the selected investment fails to meet their expectations, a la equity indexed annuities. And, and let's give an example. Recently, you, we, we'd, we've seen all sorts of equity indexed annuities over the years. Yes. And I can tell you that our typical experience for an investor that has held an equity indexed annuity, say over at least a five year time period, that they typically return about a third of what you would have received had you just put the money into an S and P five hundred index fund. Oh, if you're just talking straight S and P, it's even it's even less than a third, Jeff. Okay. It's less than a third. I did a comparison on a most recent perspective client of our moderate allocation, our middle of the road more conservative allocation model that we use with more retirees or pending retirees at Davidson Capital Management, and their returns were a third or worse compared to our returns in a balanced allocation. So if you're talking 100% stock... So, so what we mean by a third or worse, like for five years, the the moderate allocation might have returned 65% total return mm -hmm. over a five-year period. Net of fees and expenses. Net of all fees, all expenses. And an, an equity index annuity might have returned uh, 20%. Or less. Yeah. Total return. Total return. And the, re and the difference between the two is... Well, that 40% is going to the insurance company. So, you know, talking about these psychological factors, again, we talked about loss aversion. Another one is narrow framing, and that's when you make decisions without considering all the implications. The result is a quick decision-making with the consequences that facts are uncovered after inappropriate investments are made. So you make a quick decision, and then you uncover some more facts after the fact that you made that decision and you're like, uh-oh. This fits very well with that example I just used about that the client that came in and said, liquidate my portfolio because Glenn Beck said to. And then, it, what, one week later, two weeks later, Glenn Beck went on, on air and said, hey, I'm a I, schlub. I, I, I said this on my show here recently, but don't listen to me because I don't know anything about investments. So the, the inappropriate investment that was made was pulling the investments. That's that right. was the inappropriate investment, was taking everything out and putting it into cash. That's right. So here's another psychological factor that affects investors and their decision-making is anchoring. Now, anchoring is a very powerful communication method, but can mislead investors unless it is used with caution. So investors can be misled about the stability of an investment, if analogies are used to represent stability, and analogies of growth can also lead to unrealistic beliefs and expectations. Again, 
leads back to indexed annuities. When I read this, I just think of sales pitches that are more prevalent in the marketplace and even on different radio shows across the state. And again, using now this psychological effect of anchoring, you know, presenting and misleading investors with the stability and the potential performance of this and, product. And, and we've been mentioning equity index annuities, for, for example, but there are other examples such as private placement, REITs. That's right. You know, they're sold based on their yield, but mm-hmm. we kind of gloss over the fact that how illiquid they are and how the, the value of the security could go down and how uh, those, those, t- those aspects of the investment are not discussed. But the focus is all on the yield. That's right, and, and not and not you know can I get my money out if I need to liquidate? How fast can I get a hold of my money? And what is going to be the underlying value of my principal investment? Kind of going back to that, I'm getting a ten percent yield, but I've lost fifty percent of my principal investment. Well, how is that beneficial to your portfolio? Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break. When we come back, we'll be continuing improving investor behavior and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five Two one six two, and if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So, continuing our presentation in the second hour of improving investor behavior, and and again going into uh, psychological factors that Dalbar, who is a a financial industry information gathering company that does a lot of surveys. You know, I wanted to do something talking about the psychological factors and psychological effects that individual investors have uh, or, or how the psychological mindsets can, can hurt investors' portfolios over the long term. And so we were going through the different psychological factors that have this effect. We talked about loss aversion and narrow framing and anchoring. But we talk about next is mental mental accounting, and that's when you take undue risk in one area and avoid rational risk in others. And I would say the best example, Jeff, in this area would be in precious metals. That would be that would be one area. I could I would also say that in the, to us in this market environment, taking risk in long maturity fixed income securities that's right and avoiding the the quote unquote risk that is inherent in, in investing in stocks to us and this may seem odd to some people listening to the show is we believe there's more risk in owning long maturity fixed income securities whether they be municipal government corporate than there is in owning the equivalent stocks of the same companies we see more risk in owning a 30-year Exxon bond than we do maybe owning Exxon stock or AT&T or Verizon or you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other companies. So, so even though you're talking about gold in particular, because we've seen a lot of 
uh, many clients that have, that have had large positions in gold. But I could also say the same thing for cash. You know, just plain yeah. old straight cash. They're, the risk that they're take, uh, investors are taking by having large amounts of cash in their portfolios is they're not getting any growth whatsoever. So, so mental accounting can be as damaging to returns as any other psychological factor since investors can be misled into inappropriate investments. Uh, another psychological factor that can affect your portfolio, now this is interesting, diversification. Now in diversification, you're obviously seeking to reduce risk, but simply using different sources. Now it's extremely valuable investment strategy, but can also be misused to create a false sense of protection that results in potential return-killing action. And I think the best example of this, Dad, is you talk about Jim Cramer when people call up and say, am I diversified? Yes. And they have three five. or four stocks. And five. five. Yeah, five stocks saying, am I diversified? And Cramer's saying, well, you're in this industry, you're in that industry. Yeah, you're diversified. So you have your entire portfolio in five stocks. That is not, in our opinion, diversification. Something else where diversification saying, yeah, I'm diversified. What if you owned a bunch of different companies in the same industry? And I hate to quit picking on gold, but gold miners, for instance. I have reviewed a portfolio this year that had a ton of different gold miners and, and different precious metal miners. And guess what? They feel that they're diversified. But they're concentrated in one industrial arena. And so that's, again, when we talk about diversification, we're talking stocks, bonds, large cap, mid cap, small cap, international bonds, domestic bonds, short maturity bonds. Cash. Cash. That's diversification. It's not five stocks of five different industrial companies and that's it. Or having 15 companies in one industrial sector, that's not diversification. So be very, very careful and understand what true diversification means. Uh, another psychological factor, according to Dalbar, and this is a classic, hurting. Copying the behavior of others, even in the face of unfavorable outcomes. Investors that go along with the crowd, simply because there is a crowd, tend to avoid catastrophic errors, but seldom achieve above-average results. High returns are not achieved by herding. And, I mean, again, that herd mentality, I mean, it has been reported in so many different publications how... You know, again, long-term success. I mean, even to thinking more of a contra you know, being more of a contrarian, as opposed to following the herd. Another psychological factor is regret. You know, treating errors of commission, which basically means decisions that you have made. You're treating them more seriously than errors of omission or a decision that you should have made. That basically means being extremely hard on yourself for deciding to buy this stock or this mutual fund as opposed to something else. And investors who, defear, who fear decision-making lose their upside potential through inaction or reversal. Inaction can prevent losses caused by poor decisions but is unlikely to produce higher potential returns. So again, inaction. You don't want to have inaction. Another psychological effect, media response. Before you go into that, yeah. I think the inaction kind of ties in with, with folks overestimating their own ability to manage their, their wealth. That's right. Because they get too busy. Mm -hmm. 
And when you get too busy you, 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 and you run out of time or you're too tired, you've got other responsibilities, then you, can't, you cannot take the – you can't set aside enough time to really look at your portfolio, understand what's going on, and take action when action needs to be taken. That's right. And so here's another one that, again, goes along with the media. Media response. It's a tendency. It's another psychological effect. It's a tendency to react to news without reasonable examination. Going back to that Glenn Beck example, familiar media sources have become less reliable as they compete with newer, faster, and low-cost outlets. At the same time, new media outlets seldom have very thorough authentication. The question of reliability rises, raise, excuse me, raises the concern about reacting to news. So again, that media response, and we've talked about that ad nauseum on this program. And then finally, psychological factor that holds back and affects investors' portfolios over the long term is optimism. Now, Dad, I know we've used on this program, what's the bad four-letter word? Hope. Hope. The belief that good things happen to me and bad things happen to others. Optimistic investors hold on to investments after it becomes evident that losses are not likely to be recovered. Holding on to poor investments is yet another way psychological factors can reduce potential returns. Hope is a bad four-letter word. So with all this said, let's talk about the performance of the average equity investor. And this is a 20-year statistic, and this is through 12-31-2013. According to Dalbar, the average equity investor's return for 20 years annualized is 5.02%. Now, here's the tough pill to swallow. The S&P 500 index, same time period, up 9.22%, almost double what the individual average equity investor has realized in their portfolio for a 20-year time period because of the psychological factors that we just went over. I mean, I think that speaks volumes. I'd be curious, and I know you didn't do this, I'd be curious to know what a, a moderate allocation portfolio had done during that time period. I know it it's going to be close to that. To I mean, when we're talking about the S&P 500, we're talking about a 100% stock portfolio, which is not something that we would recommend to any of our listeners to put 100% of their investments in stock. The optimum rate of return for us lies somewhere between these two numbers. But because you know, 5% is very low. You know, most people plugged into their their investment projections for the future when they were when they're trying to figure out how much money they needed for retirement and and they and they used a particular rate of return in their investment portfolio uh i don't think anybody was using five percent well a 20-year bond 20 years ago would have yielded more than five percent mm-hmm. which means if you just bought a 20-year bond 20 years ago and held it for the 20 years you would have done better than the average investor from the study. I, I think the average percent in stock. Yeah, the average investor, by and large, I, I would say, sold sells out at the bottom and is slow to get back in again. Well, you know, I I, I think again, Jeff, when you when you allow your emotions to dictate your buys and sells, I mean, I think emotion 
and along with these psychological factors that we went into, but emotion, your emotion, your emotional attachment to your assets and your nest egg, again, I, I think is what's causing so many investors to make these bad decisions. And one huge advantage of having a professional money management team like a Davidson Capital Management, an RIA that has discretionary control, is they help separate that emotion from your nest egg because you're relying on their expertise and their experience of being in the trenches of managing assets to make those decisions for you. You're you're separating your site those psychological factors from your assets because they're out of your control. And by taking those assets out of your control, that's eliminating is it's eliminating a lot more emotion and it becomes a lot more difficult for you to try to pull the wrong trigger on making a decision in your portfolio you know and you know again an old saying that investors would have i mean here's something an investor would say to themselves you know a stock's historic high was fifty dollars but then it declines rapidly the next thought in an investor's mind is well, once my stock gets back to 50 i'll sell and that is hope hope Okay, well, we're going to take our last commercial break, so we're going to take the break, come back. We'll be wrapping up this improving investor behavior. After we come back from break, you're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this whole hour about improving investor behavior, and as Dad said, the commercial break, we've been talking about all the bad things investors have been doing, and I promise you we're getting ready to get to how to improve investor behavior. But before we get there, I want to talk about, again, the most common and potentially most damaging behavior that investors can have in their portfolio. Number one is an over-concentration in a particular position and it can lead to unwarranted risk. So again, owning too much gold, owning too much in one particular industrial sector. Too much fixed income. Too much fixed too income. Much, too much cash. That's right. It's important to understand that the market does not generally reward those who take risk that can be diversified away. So the reason why, again, we maintain a balanced philosophy of Davidson Capital Management, we've had for the past quarter century and for the next quarter century, we'll continue to have that balanced allocation. Remember that the market is not going to reward those non-diversified huge risks that you take in concentrating in your portfolio in one particular area. And also you have to remember, investors are not adequately rewarded for the additional risk that they're assuming. You know, failure to diversify a portfolio you know, if a portfolio is not diversified enough, the potential losses may be greater during market downfalls and macroeconomic driven events. So again, this is why it's key to have diversification, have a balanced allocation, and again to have it actively managed. That's an absolute key. So how do we correct the behavior? You know, how do investors correct the behavior? Well, first and foremost is having an asset allocation. An initial asset allocation model and an ongoing asset allocation model. And an allocation model that is rebalanced. It's not set it 
and forget it because we have seen that more times than we can count doing portfolio Set it and forget reviews. it is, is one of the, the most common asset allocation that is typically found with uh, a relationship that is more sales-oriented than it is active management-oriented, meaning the investor has a relationship with a full-service broker. Uh, they, they're not in the business of managing portfolios. They, they typically set an initial allocation and when, the, when the money's deposited, and they move on. When you buy an annuity, the initial asset allocation is set, and then that's it. You move on. So another way to correct investor behavior is setting and managing realistic expectations. If you're in a moderate allocation that's actively managed, you know, don't don't expect to be seeing a 15 to 20 percent annualized rate of return. That's just not realistic. I, I, you know, today when we when I see prospective clients, the issue is not having the 15 percent plus the the double digit type return expectations like we saw in the late 1990s. Mm-hmm. What it is is it's saying, oh, I want a 10 percent return. But I don't want. But I only want twenty percent of my money in stocks. That's what we're seeing now. Good there, point. There, there's a there's a aversion for risk, but the 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 return uh, expectations are reasonable by and large. But what isn't reasonable is the mix of assets to achieve that return. And that's where we have to say now. You have to understand if you want an eight percent, nine percent return, you're going to have to have. of your money in stocks given the current level of interest rates. And that's when the investors say, well, wait a second, I don't want to have 70% of my money in stocks. And so you have to bring down those expectations based on how much risk you're willing to take. So another way investors can help improve their returns and their behavior is maintaining true diversification. Not diversifying in multiple companies in one industrial sector, it's having mid-cap asset classes, large-cap asset classes, small-cap asset classes in a multitude of different industries. Foreign and domestic. Foreign and domestic, fixed income and equity, cash holdings. Maintain that true diversification. Another great way to help improve returns, and Jeff, I know you said this earlier in the hour, dollar cost averaging into investments. If you have a 401k, if you have an IRA, if you have a taxable account, setting up monthly contributions, or if you're in a 401k, per pay period contributions. We know in 25 years of business, we've had clients that have been with us from the very beginning, and we can go back and look at the two different clients in the same allocation model, one client that's putting in money every month, another client that doesn't put another dollar in after their initial investment and the rates of return and the same allocation model is shocking we've seen dollar cost averaging work with our own eyes with our own client base it's somewhere it's somewhere between two and three percent per year compounded which doesn't sound like a lot but get out of that's the difference between a 7% compounded return, and a 10% compounded return. And that adds up to serious money over the long period. Absolutely. Another way to help improve your returns, staying in the market. Now, again, it's time in, not timing. And if you have a proper allocation, you have an asset allocation model, you have true diversification in your dollar cost averaging, even when we have very choppy waters, you know, 
again, what we're trying to convey is the all-in, all-out strategy is not going to work because you're never going to be able to time it perfectly either way. So if you have an active, actively managed, balanced allocation over the long term, you will be rewarded. And finally, and I, I, God, this point is so good. I'm glad it's the last point. Investors need to stay focused on their goals that they have for their nest egg in their portfolio and not be focused on the markets and the day-to-day gyrations. And Stay focused on your long-term goals. I cannot say that any stronger or clearer. And that is so hard to do in an environment now where we are saturated in media. It is. Via it is. television and gazillion channels of TV, the Internet, whether it's on a computer sitting at our desk at work, a computer sitting on our desk at home, or our smartphones that are tied into CNN news feeds or whatever, or CNBC, CNBC news feeds. Market Watch. There's... You have to consume media uh, lightly. Well, go on a diet. <laughs> the Atkins diet of uh, of uh, media consumption. Too much of too much media can lead to being paralyzed making decisions. And we've learned from this Dalbar study of psychological effects on investing and what creates poor investment returns is the lack of being able to make a decision because you're being paralyzed by fear. So, Dad, I'm glad we kept you awake during this presentation, just barely. But it's something that I've been thinking about all week. I wanted to get some good, you know, meaty statistics and just information to pass along and the psychological effects and, and how they can affect both positively and negatively a portfolio. So we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. For my father, John, my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We'll talk to you next week.